Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Everybody and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. Another great episode, the first show of 2018. We're 45 days away from the Daytona 500. Getting ready for the 2018 season. The teams are getting ready. Everything's starting to come down the pipeline. We're starting to see some announcements coming along. We saw Dylan Lupton today on the Xfinity Series. He's going to run 21 races for JGL Racing in the Xfinity Series. And also... You know, there was news today about the new car going to uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. We'll discuss that. Uh, Brian France, could he be the next owner of the Carolina Panthers? NASCAR has denied the reports. We'll talk about what that could mean for NASCAR, though, if anything like that would happen. And then, of course, the big news of the day, which was yesterday, Rashford Racing sold his charter to Team Penske. We'll discuss what that does for Team Penske and what that does for Ryan Blaney and what that does for Rash Fenway for the 2018 season. Plus, we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280, here to join the conversation here tonight. So, John, let's dive right into it. Rash Fenway Racing, uh, they had three charters. They were originally handed three charters, and these charters are interesting because if they're hard to describe because they, you know, they don't have a name, they don't have a number, assigned to it. It's just kind of weird the way you describe them. So basically the charter that was assigned to the number six, originally assigned to the number 16 team at Rash Fender Racing has been now sold to Team Penske's number 12 car. Last year they leased that charter out to the number 37 of JTG Daugherty Racing and Chris Busher. But obviously through the lease that charter went back to Rash Fender Racing in the off season because they had three charters. Now they have two because they sold their charter to the, the new team over at Team Penske, uh, the 12 car with Ryan Blaney. Um, it locks Ryan Blaney into a race, John. It gives Team Penske uh, a little bit more additional income for that uh, 12 car. Not that they really probably need that. but uh, So Ryan Blaney and the 12 team, they have a charter here for 2018. What are your thoughts on this whole deal here between Rash Fenway and Team Penske? Well, we kind of knew early on this year that both of those things are going to happen. It did. We didn't know if it was going to be one to the other, but we knew that Roush was going to end up selling the third charter or leasing one of the other ones out. And we also knew that Roger Penske was going to make sure he had a charter for Ryan Blaney. He's not starting a third team to not have a charter. Roger Penske's too smart of a businessman for that. Um, I don't think it really makes a difference. I mean, what I'd like to really know is how much they paid for it. Because I really believe you, me, Lee, and Virginia could scrape together what we have in our wallets today and buy a charter. That's what they're going for these days. Probably what you, me, and Lee, and Virginia can afford. I think it, um, excuse me, I think Ryan Blaney and Penske is a good match because basically Ryan Blaney's come up through the Penske pipeline. He was loaned out to the Wood Brothers for the past couple years, and Roger wanted to bring him home. And he's like, well, wait a minute, this guy's winning races and making the chase for those guys. Why can't he do that for me? And especially with Joey Logano not making the chase last year. I mean, if you think about it, Penske should have had two cars in the chase. Instead, it was one Penske, one Wood Brothers, even though it's really Penske supported. So, I mean, it's not really that big of a deal to me uh, the way the charter system is. It's really weird because if you think about it, people originally said they need to franchise them like baseball or football and all that stuff. Think about it. The owners in those sports 
own the sport. It's not like somebody owns the sport and then everybody else comes to play. The owners decide who the commissioners are. The owners have the competition committee. The owners have the uh, ones who put the rule book out. The owners um, negotiate the TV deal. In NASCAR, it's the France family does all this stuff and everybody else gets to come play. And it used to be that way in, I mean, if you look at how CART did it, CART did it the way the um, uh, football and baseball does, where the owners own the teams and the owners own the sport. They just couldn't get along well enough to figure out who the heck was going to do things because you always had the Penske, you always had the Ganassi, and then you had a different faction of all the small teams. So it's weird how it happens. The charters today really – God knows who has all the charters because when you look at the 23 charter, that's going to be worth nothing soon. And we don't even know if BK racing is going to exist. Um, Petty still has a charter out there, but they're going to probably lease out the 43 and run the 44 this year because they have two charters and only one car. So, I mean, the charter system, whatever we first um, heard, they were talking about putting it in. It was going to give them, uh, basically remember when Ricky Rudd and all them went out of business with their individual teams and they're selling their cars and their equipment at pennies on the dollar, they're going to say, this is something that will be worthwhile. And so they will recoup some of their investment, but the way things have gone, I mean, you look half of the season, they did not have a full 40 car field. 18 of the 36 races did not have a full 40 car field. So basically if you own a charter, you're making the race. And the way it's been, you show up, you're going to make the race. It's just a matter of how much you get out of the NASCAR kitty whenever they determine what the pot is and all that stuff, but nobody knows that anymore. Well, yeah, and, you know, I don't know what exactly, uh, you know, the thing about these charters is, and what makes them interesting is the fact that they're so secretive. Um, You know, they're not, the owners and, and even NASCAR aren't transparent with the fans about what, the charters are worth, or not even what they're worth, but, you know, what having a charter does means compared to, you know, uh, what not having a charter means. So you kind of have to guess. You know, I know Bob Pachris is the guy who uh, really kind of breaks all this information about the charters and who's got what, and um, it's very interesting because it's the business side of the sport, and maybe it's something the fans shouldn't know about, but it's interesting to me because, it's you know, it's just so secretive. And, you know, even who has them and which charter. For example, you know, um, when, when Michael Walter Bracing sold their charters to the 41 and 19 teams uh, back when they first got it, it, was, it, they never said, you know, the 41 car gets the, 15, the 55 charter and the 15 charter goes to the 19. They never told you which charter went where. So they just said, you know, Michael Walter Bracing split up their charters to the 41 and the 19. Um, so it makes it confusing because, you know, you can – I know this much about the charters is there's a performance clause in there that, you know, you're not allowed to finish at a bottom three uh, for three consecutive years, and NASCAR will evaluate your status as a charter team. Uh, also, you know, for three years, that charter has sort of a value where you finish in owner points uh, for three year, for three consecutive years, and – um, you know, for example, if you finish high in owner points, that charter means more than it does if you didn't. Uh, and right now, the, the charter that, as far as that's concerned, as far as that part of the charter goes, the, the charter that, that is the most valuable charter right now is the 18 of Kyle Busch. Uh, the charter with the least valuable charter is the uh, 23, as you said, at BK Racing. That charter is the least valuable one right now, and everybody else falls in between. Um you know, it makes it interesting. There's also pots, different pots that uh, certain teams get. It's very complicated. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, it is secretive. It's just, it's just so complicated, and you might bore fans by that. But I think that's what makes it interesting is, you know, what we need to know basically is the fact that it locks you into a race, and you get more money from having one and not. I heard this a couple of years ago, or last year, I think, about these charters. And a lot of people... Um, gave an opinion they didn't really like this, but 
this would help the situation. Uh, you know, we know they have four open spots at the end of the field. There's 36 charters, four open spots, which means we have a 40-car field. Uh, those four open teams don't get nearly as much money as teams in the charters. But a former owner, I believe it was Michael Waltrip, came out and said, we should take away the four open spots and just have 36 charters, and that's the only way you get into a race. That would make these charters a lot more valuable because you'd have to pay to get into the race. What are your thoughts on that, John? Do you think that would make these charters a lot more valuable? I think, to be honest with you, if they're going to do the franchise thing, which is what they sort of try to do with these charters, I don't think one charter should be worth more than the other. I think every charter should be valued at whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. Say, for example, if you are the New England Patriots and Mr. Kraft decides today he wants to sell, there's a boatload of money coming in because the New England Patriots sell out every game. They have sponsorship galore. They are a top-notch organization, and they have five Super Bowl rings in the last 17 years. Or if you're the Cleveland Browns and Jimmy Haslam wants to sell, you haven't won a game. You've won one in the last two years, and you may get 40000 into the 65,000-seat stadium in Cleveland. Um, that's the charters. If they want to sell it, yeah, that's fine, dandy, all that good stuff. I still think the prize money should be divvied up. Whoever finishes first makes the most money. Whoever finishes 40th gets the least amount of money. There shouldn't be bonus money thrown into these charters by how much you make out of each race. You should earn what you make every time you go to the track, not because of where you finished three years ago or two years ago or because your charter is this much. Your charter should be your franchise. Whatever you can sell it for is what you sell it for. And that's what it's getting to be, but they add these other incentives in. I I mean, in reality, picture being one of the bottom three teams right now. Are you concerned about losing your charter? I wouldn't be. They haven't had a full field for half the races. So, I mean, I don't think the charter, I think the thing that messes it up is the race purse that used to be out there where the winner won the most money or... And then they had the Winter Circle Club, which was always a separate thing that messed everybody up. Or if you had a certain sticker on your car, you got a certain amount of money out of it. I think it should be divvied up is first place is this, second place is that, and that's what it is. Listen, it, you know, I'm not sure why the performance was put in there. I'm sure, obviously, the owners got it and say, you know, we have to have also a way to where you don't want to – bag. Um, you know, and John, Tommy Joe Martin was on Sirius XM Radio this week and he made a good point. He said, you know, uh, Pat Patterson straight out asked him, you know, he shut down, Tommy Joe Martin shut, came out this week and said he shut down his truck series team. Sounds like he's going to extend his series racing for a lot of the year with uh, McLeod Motorsports, BJ McLeod, over there at uh, in the Xfinity Series 78 car and he owns the 8 and the, uh, the 99 team as well. But, you know, Pat Patterson came out on Saturday or Sunday morning and said, listen, would a charter system help the truck series? And he came out and said, no, I don't think it would as much as people think it would because if you look at the Cup Series, you have to have a performance clause. You have to have, make it worthwhile to race hard. And if you look at the Cup Series with leasing these charters the way these teams have, for example, the 32 car, they leased their charter last year. Their main charter they leased to the Wood Brothers who don't have a charter going into the 2018 season, by the way, which is interesting to keep in mind as well. Um, they leased it out to the Wood Brothers, and the Wood Brothers finished ninth in the standings last year and boosted their charter up and gave them some incentive. Um, so the fact that you can lease these things has made it where you don't have to really worry about being in the bottom three. Nobody's in danger of losing their charter right now, not even a 23, because – they were finished in the bottom three charters, even though they're the least valued charter in the rank, in the ranks. Um, and so, it you know, and if BK Racing wanted to go out and lease that 23 charter to a team that they think is going to perform better than them, they can do that. Um, 
So it makes you kind of scratch your head and go, is leasing what we really want to do? You can only do it once every every five years. So that kind of makes it interesting. And maybe, you know, one of these teams will lose that charter. But, you know, these owners are out looking for themselves. That's what people have to understand with this thing. You know, the RTA is worried about the RTA. Um, and when they suggested this idea to NASCAR, this performance clause was put in there to help the bigger teams, no doubt about it. And the lease was put in there to help these smaller teams hang on to their charters because would BK Racing lose their charter if they did if other teams didn't lease it? Probably. Uh, would these you know the thirty two car for example, their charter would be the least valued charter if they couldn't lease it last year to the Wood Brothers. Now it's like six from the lease. So makes you sit there and go, what do we really have it for? It's to, the owners look out for the owners. And that's what we have to keep in mind with, with the RTA and this chartering system. So it's really kind of moot. Um, I, I like the fact that we have four open cars, open teams for the Daytona 500. But I think the, la- the other, other races, the open teams, don't really contribute all that much to the competition. They really don't. Um, there's going to be teams with charters this year who finished 37th or worse every week last year. Um, you know, sure, they're leasing one from Richard Petty Motorsports and Rick Ware Racing, but that, it doesn't mean the sport's more competitive that way. So what are the fans getting out of it? I don't think they're getting a whole lot. I think that what, whoever, who's benefiting from these charters, John, are the owners because they're looking out for themselves. You know, and, and that's what I think is, is the biggest deal with that is the fact that the owners are looking out for themselves. So that's what fans have to keep in mind when you think about these charters and people say, well, they don't help the sport. They weren't really intended to help the competition. They were intended to help the owners. Um, Are they doing that? It's debatable. But you know, with, with what you've seen with, with these owners, it seems like, you know, like you said, John, we can we can buy these charters. If you and I get, get our money together, we might be able to buy a charter um, from what's been rumored out there as far as what these teams, what these charters are going for. So, yeah, it, it's, it puts it in a weird spot. Um, and I think fans have to understand that these weren't because these weren't put into place to help make sport more competitive. It was to help the owners get their money back because the business model was really, really busted. And this is to try and fix that a little bit. We also had some news today um, about Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, Chip Ganassi Racing came out today and said that they've hired former Hendrick Motors competition and Doug Ducart and Chief Operating Officer Doug Ducart here um, so interesting news there from Chip Ganassi Racing but we have a caller here uh, it's Lee in Virginia what do you want to talk about tonight Lee? Uh, I'll add to the charter talk and I'll add to talk about Ducart going to, going to Chip Ganassi Racing as well um, the charter deal to me you know <laughs> There is a there is a need for it, I think, just because we do need to protect these owners a little bit. I understand, you know, the big owners, the Hendrick Motorsports, and the, they're never going to go anywhere. But I think it is helping a team like Premium Motorsports. I think it is helping. I think you're going to see Go Fast Racing here announce a second team here real shortly and with a charter. And so that's a team that I think is benefiting from this as well. Um, and so as much as it is, you know, a struggle for a lot of these teams and, and you know, it can look foolish. You know, the sport's in a really um, strange spot right now, and I think people think it's in trouble. I'm not sure it's in trouble. I just think it's right-sizing. You know, when people say downsizing, I think it's right-sizing. I think some of these teams were in over their heads a little bit, and I think you're going to see a lot of these teams come down. I think Richard Childress Racing is that way. Roush Fenway Racing has showed you they could compete better with two cars than they did three. Um, and so I think you're going to see more of these teams right size, and you're going to see – some more competition, and maybe that's not such a bad thing, even though some of these big teams are really getting hurt by it. Um, but I think they'd get hurt either way with the way the economy is and the way the sport is and how, how the business model is. 
right now. And I think once they right size, I think the business model could get picked up here in a couple of years. So um, we'll see how all of that works out in the end. Uh, Ducart going to Chip Ganassi? It's amazing, Clayton. Um, this is a team that a couple of years ago made some big changes, getting rid of Steve Meal, getting rid of Tony Glover, um, and bringing in some new people. And they had a, they've been great here the last couple of years. Kyle Larson had a tremendous year last year. It was probably the third best car all season long. And, you know, obviously it didn't work out in the playoffs, but I think this could only be a benefit for Chip Ganassi Racing and Felix Sabatis. They've got two investors there with Felix Sabatis and Rob Kaufman, and now adding Ducart. Um, you know, this is a team that with, with Target leaving, I, I was a little bit concerned about saying, eh, you know, but if they're going to add a guy like Ducart, obviously they're not hurting financially. I think Ducart move is a, a solid move for Chip Ganassi Racing. It's one of those things that, you don't really know what Doug, I mean, unless you're right there on pit road on a regular basis or walking through the halls of Hendrick Motorsports, nobody really knows what the title of general manager does at Hendrick Motorsports. You always think of what Chad Knauss or um, Alan Gustafson or the crew chiefs do or the drivers. You don't really know what goes on on the inner workings of these teams. But Doug Ducart, while he was running Hendrick as a general manager there, they won a lot of championships. They won a lot of races. So somehow, some way, his management style sort of made made sure that things worked well, and he kept the kept the engines on time. I think uh, bringing that sort of leadership into the fold at Chip Ganassi Racing, um, it can't do anything but help. Um, and you think about what's going on at Chip Ganassi Racing as well. I mean, Chip's trying to keep his IndyCar teams going. We all know Chip's first love is IndyCar. And Felix Savadis is talking about trying to buy the Carolina Panthers. And Rob Kaufman, he put money in, and he's been really quiet since he's been a Chip Ganassi. And you don't really know what his role is there. But having someone like Doug Ducart, who is well-known throughout the industry, he came from Chevy, um, it might end up uh, bringing better ties between Chip Ganassi Racing and uh, Chevy as well because there is that rumor that Dodge could be coming back in and Chip Ganassi used to be a Dodge guy so it's one of those things you look forward to and think that it can be it can't do anything but help the team it's funny you mentioned that five letter word you just mentioned John Dodge because yeah Ducart has the Chevrolet background to me when he left Hendrick Motorsports a year ago it was under I wouldn't say suspicious circumstances, but it was kind of a surprise. They went, wow, you know, they don't really make these changes here. He resigned. And a lot of people said, well, maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's the Ray Evernham of Dodge, where wherever he goes, of the, the modern-day Ray Evernham, where he's going to go out, figure out what, what to do for Dodge. He's going to be Dodge's main guy, and then come back into the sport when Dodge is ready to come back into the sport. And you know, work with a team to make the transition over to Dodge. Here's Doug Ducart announced now in January. Now, this is me being me. You mentioned you get asked They used to have a relationship with Dodge. Dodge. We know they, you know, have a lot of money. They can build an engine apartment like that. Is it possible that this move is a sign of things to come for Chip Ganassi Racing, where they sit there and they go, listen, boatload of money from Dodge, and we're going to go, and we're going to go to Dodge with Doug Ducart. Is that possible? Lee in Virginia, what are your thoughts? And I don't know if Lee's with us or not. Uh, it's possible. Lee in Virginia, is that possible? I definitely do. I definitely think it is. Um, I think that's a team that, has they they have the capability? I know they have a shop that that they have enough room to build engines there. Um, I think they maybe adding Ducart. You know, you don't really see teams that don't build their own engines have a big time guy like that come in. And what I you know, and I'm trying to explain that you know, we saw Stuart Haas go out on their own this year, sort of. I mean, they're not building their own engines, but they're you know they're not a subsidiary team right now. Ganassi is a subsidiary team of Hendrick, and you know they they don't build. I don't believe they build the chassis, but they get, share a lot of technical information with Hendrick. And if they're getting ready to branch out, Ducart's a great guy to have to kind of lead the lead the way a little bit. Um, obviously, if they're adding a team like this, they're thinking that there's going to be some kind of big time income 
and maybe that is coming from Dodge because the sponsorship is still in lux over there at Ganassi, even though it sounds like they're going to be fully funded with Kyle Larson. You don't know. And to add Ducard, I thought it was a risky move, but if they got extra income coming in, I think, you know, that makes sense. I think part of it was it allowed Max Jones to um, focus on the cars and everything instead of being the overall general manager. I mean, you look at the way they redid the uh, scheme of things at Ganassi Racing. They put someone in charge of Indy and IMSA. They put somebody in charge. They put uh, Max Jones in charge of um, NASCAR, and then Doug Ducart is running the whole show combined. Um, and Chip Ganassi is one of those ones. He goes to the biggest bidder with everything i mean he was happy running chevy engines uh an indy car and then honda threw a bunch of money his way so he went to honda and he was a i mean whenever he came into the sport it was a dodge that he was running because he lot of money for dodge came into the sport and the minute dodge started to slow down and the chance to go away did he went to um went to chevrolet because chevrolet threw more money at him so chip ganassi is one of those guys in the sport who is a team owner that isn't a billionaire chip ganassi's a racer first he just happens to have billionaires as partners but he's still going to where the money comes first and that's the way he's always been yeah we can't and you can't blame him and we talk about the um, business of the sport um, being broken, you know, mm-hmm. the business model of the sport being broken, and you, know, you can't blame when can't blame an owner when he looks out for the best financial interest of his race team, him or his or her and, race and, team. So, go ahead. And you can only go so far with Chevrolet. I mean, you're definitely second in line to Hendrick Motorsports. You're always going to be. Uh, Richard Childress Racing builds their own engines as well over there at, at Chevrolet, and it doesn't sound like they're leaving the Dodge, even though it would make sense for them to. Uh, and so when you're second and sometimes third in line like that, it's like, okay, we can only get so big. I think that's part of the reason why SHR left. That's part of the reason why Joe Gibbs Racing left and went to Toyota years ago, 10 years ago. So to me, if you do want to be in it for real and you do want to become a major powerhouse in this thing, and Chip Ganassi Racing, I believe, does, then you do got to do something drastic, and I think the Dodge is the way to go. And the way, the way they've been running the last couple of years, uh, boy, it would be something. I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, when you have a Kyle Larson out there, uh, he's, he's going to be – he's proven he can be a big-time driver here. Um, and, you know, that, now's the time if you want to do that because you have a, a young kid who – you know, I wasn't thrilled with his comments over last week where he said his ultimate goal is to go to the World Bat Laws. I think if you're NASCAR and you're Chip Ganassi Racing, look at that and you go, eek, you know, how long is he going to be here for? Um, but he's a great talent, no doubt about that. Uh, and now's the time to do it because you know you have a driver to go out there and can win a lot of races uh, in the right stuff. You know, McMurray's a former Dodge driver uh, when he ran his first tenure over there at Chip Ganassi Racing in a 42 car. So, um, yeah, it's an it's a very interesting situation. I, I I will say this: if it happens, there will be there will have to be an announcement. I think before the Daytona 500 this year, so we have to see an announcement in the next four weeks. I think if this were to happen, I could be totally wrong. I could total, and I will own it. But I just think it's interesting how he left Hendrick Motorsports, and I don't really think anybody in Hendrick Motorsports kind of went. Yeah, we expected it. I think they kind of went, oh, wow, he resigned. And all of a sudden, he's going back to a team that I've heard rumblings. If guys were to come in, that was one of the two teams that would go over would be Ganassi. So it's interesting. It's very interesting for sure, especially because when you look at what Dodge did 15 years ago to Wu Wei, or 20 years ago now, to Wu Wei Everham at Hendrick Motorsports, you know, it's not like they haven't done before. Um, another interesting news piece here, guys, this this evening that's come across, and, and NASCAR has denied this. I want to make this clear that NASCAR has come out and, and denied that Brian France has interest in buying the Carolina Panthers. Um, yeah, you know, Carolina Panthers going on their bid. We know that. Uh, their owner, Jerry Richardson, has put the team up for sale. There's been a lot of speculation that NASCAR ties to it. Bruton Smith had heard uh, been into it. We talked about Felix Sabatis earlier. 
he's interested in, sounds like, in buying the Carolina Panthers. And now it looks like maybe Brian France, the CEO of NASCAR, might be interested in buying the Carolina Panthers. Um, what are your thoughts on this, John? Does this have any legs, you think? Um, and what would this do as far for NASCAR as far as this was concerned? I don't think Brian France has the money a NASCAR, I mean, to buy an NFL team. Because wasn't there a report a few years ago that Brian France sold his shares in NASCAR to his sister and his uncle? And Brian's just the president and CEO of NASCAR. He's the CEO of NASCAR because uh, they made that part of the deal. I think Felix Sabatis has enough money to get involved in this thing. I know Bruton Smith has enough money to get involved in it. And I think if Bruton Smith and Brian France get into a bidding war, Brian France loses. Um, if it's legit, I think it might be somebody heard something from somebody who might've heard something from somebody they know who heard something who could have known Brian France once in their life or had a beer with them once. I really don't see that as an opportunity. Uh, I don't see Brian France being, I don't think he has the money to buy the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers are probably going to go for $2 billion. And I don't think he has the money. And Felix Sabatis, one of the things he said is that the one of the things that he wants to do if he does get his hands on the Panthers is get a dome stadium in Carolina so they can host a Super Bowl. So I don't really see Brian France um, – he might have a stake in it or something, but I don't think he'd be the leader and the uh, majority owner. What about you, Lee? What are your thoughts on this? Do you think this has any legs here? Um, you know, there's been talk. Brian has, uh, you know, he's had interest. There's no doubt he has interest in, in other sports besides NASCAR. It's not like this is the only thing. Uh, he focuses his attention on, and, and I, we all do. You know, we all have other sports. And I'm not trying to criticize him uh, for that fact. I mean, there's plenty of other things you want to pick on that you can. But as far as liking another sport, I mean, he's a human being. Um, but you know, there's been rumors that he might get out and, and he was going to run in the front office in the NFL a bunch of years ago, uh, in the league office. He was going to try and work there. So this isn't like kind of out of the blue that, oh, well, all of a sudden he's got, he likes, you know, wants to be involved with football. Um, but what are your thoughts, Lee? What would this do for NASCAR? Uh, you know, who do you think's next in line in case something like this would happen? I don't think any, I don't know who's next in line, honestly. I'm not sure. Um, I think there are probably legs to this at one time. Maybe Brian had mentioned saying, oh, I'd be interested in, in buying a team. And he left out the part of if I had the money. Uh, but he has been trying to make this sport like the NFL the last decade and a half. So uh, there's no question I think he's interested. He'd be interested. But I'm just not sure that the financial part would be there. Maybe he'd be part of a, of a you know, of a, of a group that would go in and buy a team. And I'm not sure necessarily he'd be in controlling interest. But, again, uh, I mean, it's one report that was reported, and then another report says that he's out. But he's not part of it. So it's it's a really strange communication there. If you ask me who I think would be next up to run the sport, I mean, I think it would all be in the hands of Lisa France Kennedy, whoever she decides. Um, it could be um, – she could end up doing it. Uh, Jim could end up doing it for a little bit. Um, it could be Mike Helton for the time being. I mean, because Mike Helton's got one of those um, sit over in the corner in color roles with NASCAR, but he's still getting the check. And Mike Mike Helton did well when he was the president of NASCAR. Um, if you notice, his uh, Bill France Jr. put Mike Helton in charge before he put Brian in charge. Um, and I think the sport would actually be better off without Brian France because I think the drivers and owners really don't respect him or look at him as a positive influence. I think he um, tries to fart rainbows and um, unicorns whenever he does speak to the media, because if you ask him about the ratings dropping or whatever, the economy's in the tank and people are watching it on DVR and uh, the ratings boxes aren't catching and you're, nobody's catching all the online views and stuff like that. 
he's trying to blow sunshine out of his butt to uh, make everybody think the sport's in fantastic uh, financial shape. They went from getting $100 million a year from Sprint to $20 million a year out of uh, Monster, and Monster, one year into it, still is asked to decide continue as a title sponsor. Whenever you got something at a fifth of the cost of the previous guy and you're debating whether or not it's a worthwhile investment, that means the sport could be facing some sort of financial issues coming up. They have a real sweet TV contract for the next few years, and part of the ratings issues is uh, these networks, Fox and NBC, are trying to build their uh, sports channels, and they're throwing it on the cable companies, I mean, throwing it on their cable networks instead of the big networks. And I'll tell you, I have problems finding out where Fox Sports 1 is on my TV. If I didn't have the push-button remote where I said Fox Sports 1, I wouldn't be able to tell you what the channel is. And I think that's one of the issues that they're running into is I think the networks are saying, boy, we overpaid for this stuff. And they're going to try to right-size the contract whenever it comes around again. And I think if you look, they're, uh, every track is taking out grandstands. I mean, I remember we used to go to Dover. There was 125, 130,000 people there. If they get 65,000, 75,000 on a good weekend at Dover, and Dover's racing isn't bad. Richmond's pulling out seats. I mean, Daytona pulled out how many seats? Talladega pulled out seats. Charlotte pulled out seats. And that's the hub of NASCAR. So the sport is struggling. And part of it, I mean, it's happened under Brian Francis' watch. And you've heard Tony Stewart whenever, um, before he went out, basically saying, you didn't see Brian France in the garage. You saw Bill France Jr., you saw Mike Helton, you saw Bill France Sr. Brian France comes in when he wants to, hobnobs when he needs to, and then goes away. And I think that's not good for the owners, drivers, and the people who make the sport go. Yeah, listen, I think not being in the garage is a big deal. I mean, uh, that's the way I personally look at it. You know, the one thing I harp on with this, regime for NASCAR is I think they focus too much on everything else and not enough on the competition. And I think the competition is what people respect you for. The competition is what people want, want to watch. When you sit down on Sunday, when I sit down and watch, try and watch the race on Sunday, it's a competition I'm watching it for. I'm not watching it because I want to see what Danica Patrick looks like inside of a race car. Um, or, you know, this guy's got a good personality. I'm watching it because I want to be entertained. And if I'm not entertained, I, it doesn't matter how much I like the person. I'm turning it off. Um, so, or I like the people competing in it. I'm turning it off. So, I think the competition is the number one thing. They've worked on it. I'll give them credit for that. You know, with, with the lower downforce package, they've really worked on it. Um, I think there's a there's some long way to go, I think, this engine deal with the sealed engines this year is going to be very interesting. Uh, apparently, there's a new Hawkeye system where they're going to measure these race cars by that for 2018. Uh, the LIS is, it sounds like the LIS is going to be gone, and they're going to have this new Hawkeye system, which should be very interesting. I'm sure we'll learn more about that as the years go on, as the year goes on. Um, you know, and when you look at the truck series, they got sounds like the Elmore engine is going to come in. Um, you know, we also went self told us that a couple of weeks ago on our show. Also, when you look at the Xfinity series, they got uh, the composite bodies on a lot of the teams. So, you know, it's not mandatory for 2018, but it's going to be mandatory for 2019. So NASCAR is looking at the, the competition. They're looking at trying to make it cheaper, trying to make it a little bit more competitive. Will it work? I'm not sure, but I think that's the most important thing. And, you know, that's what ultimately the TV money is going to pay for. That's what Monster Energy is paying for, and I think we need to focus on that. And that's why I have such a hard time and have such a big problem when people say, you know, for example, there was a debate, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. chimed in on it on, on Twitter, and I want to get your guys' opinion on this, about does personality matter in this sport? Does it matter that a guy's, 
you like a person. It doesn't matter that a guy's entertaining to watch outside of a race car or a driver's outside of a race car is entertaining to watch. Or is being competitive more important in your eyes? Lee and Virginia, I want your opinion on that first, and then we'll go to John. You know, what's more uh, important to you? Is it, is, it, is it the personality or is it the competition? I think, I think for me personally, and, you know, you got to kind of look at this in very different ways. For me personally, I think it's the competition. I want the best 40 drivers out there every single week running in the race cars. Now, I understand with the business model, that's never really been the case. You know, with, with sponsorship, people have been buying rides forever. Uh, it's just happening, I think, at a much more exuberant rate now. Um, and, and you have to have money to make it. And sometimes I think the, the, the sport misses the boat, though. I mean, you got Haley Deegan, a big announcement today that she's going to go run K&N East. Um, and that was like a huge announcement. K&N West, one of the K&N series. And that was like a huge West. announcement. And everybody's, everybody's going crazy about it. Her dad's this X Games star. She's run two races in the, in, the, in the pro series and finished two laps down in both of them. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Didn't you just learn a lesson about the last female driver that we had that was very attractive, very marketable, but couldn't get into the top five, couldn't get into the top ten, couldn't get into the top 15 at Stewart House Racing. Didn't we just learn this about this? Didn't we just go through this? Didn't we? Hopefully we learned our lesson. The dumbest thing you can do is make the same mistake twice. And to me, that just shows you. You can be as marketable as you want. If you're not going to run good and you're going to be a laughing stock, that's, that work, to me, that works against you. You're going to have somebody like Danica Patrick who is out today promoting her book and doing this and doing that and trying to, supposedly trying to get a Daytona 500 ride. It, it makes your sport look foolish, it, you know, especially when you've got somebody like her who puts the sport third or fourth on her list and not first. And to me, you need to have that. And you need to have a driver who, to me, like Jimmy Johnson, who looks at this and says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be as competitive as I can be. I'm going to make it my life. You need that. I think you need that. I think you really do. I know it's hard with the 36-race schedule and all of that, but you need that. And, and then talent on top of it, of course. If Danica was running in the top ten, if Danica was even A.J. Allmendinger, she'd still be here, and we have respect for her. But she couldn't even get to that point. And that's not disrespect to A.J. I'm just saying A.J.'s with a small team, has some talent, and you know, running you know, mid-pack most of, the, most of the time. If Danica did that, she'd still be here today. No question in my mind about it. But she didn't. And to me, that is extremely important. You have to run well. You have to be competitive because at some point when people turn it on and go, ooh, it's not just turning on the pre-race show to watch her walk down pit lane. You're trying to sell the race. And if she's going to be a joke in the race, what the hell are they watching the race for? And that's what you need. You need to be competitive. If she's out there being competitive and you go, oh, man, she can run up front and do this and do that, be great. She couldn't even do that. And you know what? You need that. You need a driver to be competitive. You need a driver to, yeah, have a little pizzazz. I mean, look, this is what I said. David Reagan's a really nice guy, and he does really well, and he continues to get rides because he's David Reagan, and he's a really nice guy. And you know what? He's done decent in his, in his career for sure for all the equipment that he's been in. But if he wasn't a nice guy, would the sponsors be there? Probably not. And that's what Danica did. She went and said, oh, you know what? I'm Danica Patrick. I don't have to. I can go mouth off the fans at Pocono. I don't have to do interviews, and you run like garbage. You can't do that. But you can be the opposite. You can be Kurt and Kyle Busch, who can be jerks at times and piss people off at times. But you know what? They run up front and win races, and that's what the most important thing is. And I think still to this day, with everything we have, social media, you name it, everything we have, I still think it's important to run up front and win races. And I think the Bush boys prove that. I'm. Uh sort of with you Lee I'm a mine's a combination I want my driver to run well because I want to be able to talk smack to my friends because my guy beat their guy uh, but I also want my guy to have some personality Jimmy Johnson is as good a driver as we've ever had in this sport and the championships show it but Jimmy Johnson is milk toast, and the only time you heard anybody talk about or anything when it comes to Jimmy Johnson, most of the time it's about they think Chad Knauss is finding a way to cheat. And unfortunately, that's the way it ends up showing up when it comes to Jimmy Johnson. He's as good a driver as we've ever had. Whenever I grew up watching the sport, and I'm a little older than you guys, it was Richard Petty or David Pearson. 
and there were there was the Bobby Allison camp, the Buddy Baker camp, but most of the time everybody showed up at the track in a 43 or a 21 shirt. And being a Ford guy, I went with a 21. And then when Pearson went away, I liked Daryl because Daryl was good, but Daryl was mouthy. And Daryl would tell you why he was going to tell you, I'm going to beat you. Here's how I'm going to beat you. Then he would beat you and he would tell you about it. And when Daryl went away, I became a Davey Allison fan just because that mix of Robert Yates, Larry Mack, and Davey Allison, if it wouldn't have been for them damn helicopters, Davey Allison would be, we'd be talking about multiple, multiple championships for him. And when Davey went away, I mean, I stayed with the 28. I watched him growing up on Thursday Night Thunder on ESPN, the same way I did Jeff Gordon. And I became a Tony Stewart fan right away. He had performance. He was the one who was a common guy. He would tell, he would grab another driver if they pissed him off. He'd tell NASCAR what he thought of him. He'd tell Goodyear how sucky their tires were. And he didn't care. He He had the ability to back it up. And that's what I look for in a driver. I look for somebody who has the performance, but also the ability to back it up and have a personality to go with it. And you look at the people coming up right now. I mean, Chase Elliott, he's a good little driver. He hasn't won yet. He's been up there. The only time you ever hear anybody, anything out of Chase is he's so, he gets mad at himself that he didn't do better. He's not really out there as um the face of NASCAR, but they're trying to make him that. I think Ryan Blaney is someone to watch going forward. Uh, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, I mean, you said it right. They will be jerks. They can be the biggest assholes known to man, but they have the performance to back it up, so they keep their rides and people keep following them because they want to boo them or they want to cheer them. And if you don't have a black hat in the field, it's, I mean, you can't have 40 good guys. There's got to be some black hat in the field. Yeah, and that's the thing. You're right. You're absolutely right, John, about that. There's got to be. I think be, the thing I, to I watch. Agree. Go ahead, Lee. Go ahead. Sorry, Clay. I think the thing to watch this year would be whether or not this Denny Hamlin Chase Elliott sort of rivalry that started brewing uh, continues because they're no, they're not affiliated. You know, one's a Toyota team, one's a Chevrolet team. And, you know, it kind of lingered through last year. You know, Chase kind of paid him back a little bit, toward, uh, you know, and took Denny out of the playoff run and, and championship run. And to me, um, boy, wouldn't it be something if that continued to linger on with these two guys at each other's throats? I think it would be great. I think that's something we need in this sport. We had so, we've had so many teams that are aligned and everybody else aligned. You've lost that. And I think you need something like that in this sport, no doubt about it. Uh, go ahead, Clay. Sorry, I, you know, I kind of stepped on you there. But I just wanted to add that into it. It would be interesting for sure to see. I mean, I think rivalries are uh, something that's lacking. I think multi, you hit the nail on the head when you said multi-car, opera, multi-car operations, I think, are, are a big reason for that. I think, um, you know, NASCAR really shot themselves in the foot a bunch of years ago when they put a real strict, uh, you know, were real strict in these guys, and Dale Jr. got fined for cursing on the radio and stuff like that. Um, so I think that all, everything has to do with that. We're in a society that, um, you know, you kind of have to play it straight lace. You also have so many sponsors now. The money's so big now. These sponsors don't really put up with it. You know, um, how many times did, did Tony Stewart come this close to losing Home Depot? How many times did Kyle Busch, how many times has Kyle Busch come, came this close to losing M&M's? You know, first, you know, a couple different things. So, um, you know, it's just the amount of money these, these companies pay, uh, that, that's what it comes down to. Um, but when you look at as far as the competition is concerned, and Dell Jr. talked about what you said, John, he likes a little bit of a combination of both. He thinks that you need to have some personality and you need to have some, you know, be very competitive. That's the ideal. Um, listen, I, I think it comes down to competition for me as well. I do understand the personality side. That's something that personally I don't care all that much about. Um I like my drivers being – I want to see the best 40 out there. I think that's – the goal I would want to have is to figure out the way to get the best drivers in the best stuff possible because that, to me, is entertaining as can be. Uh, 
and I think in the grand scheme of things, and I and again, I wasn't around in the ninety. You know, I was a kid in the nineties, so I wasn't. At, I, I don't remember this as well, but I feel like in the nineteen nineties and even the early two thousands, NASCAR was held to a much higher standard now than they were than they are. Much higher standard then than they are now. As far and that's just from the people inside of racing. I think when people look at NASCAR, they go, "Well, he's got money, so that's why they're there." Um, you know, Kyle Larson said the ultimate goal for him, and this was shocking. And I think this was a comment that NASCAR sort of wanted to bury. The ultimate goal for him is to get to the World of Outlaws. He wants to run the World of Outlaws tour. What does that mean for your sport? You know, NASCAR used to be the, the thing everybody wanted to get to. Has it subsided to, you know, taking a second, uh, a back seat to the world of outlaws? Definitely in Kyle Larson's eyes, but is there other people, the motorsport fan out there, rather watch mm-hmm. dirt racing, would rather watch something else other than NASCAR because NASCAR has become too corporate? Um, it's a question you have to ask, and I think that is that comes all back to the competition, where if the competition was good and the racing was was great, and we focused strictly on that, I, I think it would bring those fans back because those are the fans I think you're losing connection with, the actual true racers. Um, those are the fans you're losing, and those are the fans you don't want to lose because they're the ones that love this sport more than anything, and they're the ones that are getting turned off by the corporateness of NASCAR. Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of things. A lot of things you can take from that. And what Dale Jr. also said, and I, I, Ryan Blaney, if you saw on that Twitter chain, kind of commented and said, this, I try and do that. And he was, Ryan Blaney was right to a point where he said, hey, if I don't say anything, I'm too vanilla. And if I start goofing off, I am not taking my job seriously. And he's right. Fans are way too sensitive nowadays, in my opinion. But I thought what Dale said in response to that was very good as well. And he said, you know, you need to be more sort of, sort of on the line of, you need to be more interactive with the fans. You know, it's it's okay to post. Ryan and, and Daryl Wallace post those funny you, uh, videos on Twitter, but it's like, well, you're not really interacting with your fans. As much as the things change, as, as much as they stay the same, and you need to go out on the, after the racetrack and interact with these fans in that way and show them who you really are. And, you know, I think that can help with a lot of people. And, and Clayton, I was watching something with the other day. I was watching, you know, old coverage of the Daytona 500s and, all of that, and instead of a dopey-ass grid walk down pit road that some buffoon driver who everybody is sick and tired of doing, they were doing they were breaking down the rule change to the cutaway car, and that's the way the sport used to be covered. Now you got some buffoon walking down the walking down pit road trying to talk to all these celebrities who honestly, the redneck race fan who we all know and love and we appreciate in North Carolina doesn't give a rat's ass about. That needs to change, too. I think one of the things where you look at Kyle Larson's comments, um, he part of it was he thought that he didn't know if he'd ever make it to NASCAR. He had the opportunity to go Indy, but he figured there was more money in NASCAR, so he went that direction. Um, Kyle Larson is this generation's Tony Stewart. And if you look at it, Tony Stewart walked away from the sport because of the way the competition was, because it was so engineered that took almost everything out of the driver. Um, Tony Stewart's used to a big horsepower driver controls the car. Now pretty much the car controls itself and they cut back on the horsepower. You could use the horsepower and manage your tires and find a way to win the race. Now, pretty much the tires are the same for everybody. No matter how, no matter what you do, they're going to fall off the same for everybody. And Kyle Larson looks at it as, yeah, I love racing. You look, he fights to make sure he gets as many races as he can in his contract with Chip Ganassi. He loves to run dirt. And as a fan of motorsports, and I've watched everything, if you give me my choice of sitting in the stands for the Daytona 500 or sitting in the stands at the Knoxville Nationals, I'll go to the Knoxville Nationals twice a day and three times on Sunday because I know it's going to be a better race. And Kyle Larson looks at it as I go to NASCAR, I make sure I make enough money so my family can um, not ever want for anything. 
And then whenever I get done with this, I can go do something I love. Look at what Tony Stewart's done. I mean, some of the other drivers, I mean, you look at the Chili Bowl this week. Justin Allgaier's in it. Um, Larson's coming back from New Zealand to run in it. I mean, Christopher Bell's in it. I mean, there's a thing about dirt racing is if you've ever run dirt, you always want to find your way back. And that's where I see Kyle Larson going. I mean, he's going to he's going to run for Chip Ganassi or whoever and he's going to make some a good bit he's going to make a good bit of money over the next 10 15 years. But whenever he's 40, he's going to say, "Okay, I've had enough. I'm going to play on the dirt because I don't have to want for anything anymore." For sure. And uh, man, it's you know, there's so much we can dive in on this. Um, there's so much we can dive into. I think, you know, the Daytona. See, that's where John and I differ, and, and I'm I, I don't want to put words in Lee, Lee's mouth, but I'm pretty sure he differs on this too. You give me a chance to go to Knoxville National the Daytona 500. I'm going to the Daytona 500 because I believe, and when I maybe it was just that what I grew up it with. I believe this racing, when everything goes right and everything is good, I, I believe there's nothing more entertaining. I mean, we I can watch uh, stock car racing. I, I love it. I can watch it all day, every day, if it's a good race. Um, that's where I differ. But I think there's certainly, it certainly gets to a point where it can be too too corporate. I think it's certainly getting to a point where it can get too close. That's my fear. You know, that Hawkeye system, as I was talking about, apparently is more um, in-depth than the laser inspection we had last year. If that's the case, you know, we're really measuring these cars really, really tight. And is there such thing as being too close? Maybe. But was it was there flaws in the laser inspection that this Hawkeye system is going to do, that's going to find that will level the playing field a little bit? Maybe. So I'm, I'm going to give it a chance as far as that's concerned. But you know, I, I miss the fact that you could lean on a guy going into turn one and have a tire mark and it not completely ruin your day. Um, I feel like in the last 10 years that's completely changed, and that's something I miss, and that's something um, I, I think we need to get back to. Final thoughts on this, Lee, before I let you go. Me in Virginia? I think Lee let himself go. <laughs> yes, I think he did too. Um, but you know that, that that's the that's the, the thing, John. You know, to me, you have to look at this and say, um, you know, are we too close? Are we, you know, too, um, you know, where you can't lean on somebody? That's where I get concerned. You know, that's how IndyCar used to be. That's how Formula One is. You can't really put a fender on a tire on these guys because there's no fenders. Um, you know, the fender and a bumper is put on these cars for a reason because you can lean on them. I think that's what part of the, part of what we're missing in NASCAR here these days. I think that is somewhat of what we're missing. We miss, I mean, if you look at the way um, the front spoiler, or not the, yeah, the spoiler is these days instead of the valence, or the front end, um, you know what I'm talking about. The If you bump into it, you cut a tire. Splitter. Splitter. Yeah, the splitter, not the spoiler, the splitter. I had head up my butt, so. <laughs> uh, but the splitter, if you run into somebody, you're going to take their tire out. And there's no, they have to keep a bubble around them. And matter of fact, the air puts a bubble around them to begin with. I think it's too technical, it's too uh, engineered, and it doesn't go back to the old days, which I'd love to see them go back to, which they never will, of the guy in the garage and him and his buddies putting a car together and seeing how fast they can get it to go. Instead of, okay, the laser tells me I need to be a quarter inch over this farther with the uh, thing in the wind tunnel says, if I get this little notch out, I'll get another um, little more break in the wind so we can go faster. So, I mean, there's too much into it. And I mean, if they cut, they're cutting back people in the sport, but you know, they're going to end up spending it in the wind tunnel and all the other stuff. Uh yeah, no doubt about that. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening and talking in circles tonight. We'll see you next week. Good night, everybody.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 